0: Good morning. 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 I'm Alan Hawkins. (laughs) Some of you were born since I was here. (laughs) So I want to thank you for your, your faithfulness with offerings. So many, so many things cr- crowd my mind today, <clears throat> but <clears throat> I, do, I do tell you that we, we've gone through a year of pandemic and uh, I mean, regardless of what you believe about it, we've been through it and it has affected our fellowship, it's affected our gathering, it's affected everything, but it really has not affected your stewardship in the gospel. You've been faithful, and now the reward will be that as we rebuild, we will not be rebuilding out of a place of uh, anxiety and desperation, but out of a place of strength because you have fully supplied the the house of the Lord with your tithes and offerings. The church is about to go into a time in which we will have a, a season of time where uh, You'll have the the burden of of the salaries of two senior pastors, and uh, we're going to do fine. We're going to go through that. We're going to do fine. And um, I just want to echo what Gail is saying. You're you're going to you're going to love these guys. And uh, I'm so happy for the week that it is. Even though I'm fussed about it, I sort of fussed at the Lord when I realized. I was coming back on Palm Sunday and realized all the stuff I was going to have to say. Um, But one of the things that comes to my mind as we look at a transition is that if the Lord Jesus Christ can humble himself And take human flesh. If the Lord Jesus Christ can humble himself and go to a cross. And if the Lord Jesus Christ can turn over what he inaugurates to disciples. I don't have a very hard task. What the Lord has entrusted to myself, to Gail, we will happily and gratefully entrust to a new leader. And I know you, you're going to walk with them, even as you've walked with us. And so it is with joy that we face what is ahead of us. And now let us talk about where we are, where we have been, and what we must understand today. I'm going to take you in the Bible to Luke chapter 19 and beginning with verse 28. Look at that title. (laughs) Welcome back, pastor. And he preaches on, he wept. It's in the text, folks. It's in the text. I looked at the Palm Sunday text, and I said, I'm not gonna avoid that. So I buried myself in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them to glean what I can from these texts. Now I had another title for my sermon. Uh, My original title was called uh, uh, Losing My Mind, (laughs) Losing My Faith, and Losing My Religion. Because frankly, I would say, yes, all that happened. Uh, You guys know, I don't don't hide the fact. I think it's been helpful in my life for my own healing, and I think it's helpful for other people for me to go ahead and just openly address the fact that uh, severe depression is a part of my life. And when the weight was lifted off of me of carrying this church to a transition door, I fell apart. I mean profoundly. My wife has sat with me on the floor for a few days, and um, and a brokenness that was that it, that it came upon my spirit. All this to say, you guys know me as a man of uh, I'm bullish. I'm loud. I have a lot of bravado, but I'm just like you in many ways. I'm broken. And the year of COVID, the year of racial conflict in our nation the year of political unrest in our nation and in our in our churches the year of prophetic confusion has filled us with all kinds of feelings emotions not many of them not good suicides are soaring murder rates in the cities across our nation are soaring Depression, especially among young people, is out of control. And so I won't be ashamed of the fact that I'm weak. Because I'm a man in Christ. And I am who he says I am. And um, it's good to be home with you. And it's going to be good to walk with you and uh, walk with you through uh, a new day. It begins today, Palm Sunday. The moment when our Lord set his face for Jerusalem. A little bit more personal before I, before I get there, and I will get there. But that's where I was for part of my time. That's mama's house. And since I left, the azaleas bloomed. There was not a flower anywhere when I left (laughs) to come home, to come back here. And man, I left and the flower said, he's gone now. (laughs) Gal and I left. We did leave... uh, I, I haven't preached in, this is uh, seven weeks I haven't preached. Gail, Gail preached on the first week that I was sitting here with you. And then six weeks I didn't preach. And uh, she and I went to Scottsdale, Arizona on a little vacation. And then we went across Texas and uh, over to Mississippi, up to Tennessee, into Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania got exposed to COVID. Thank you, Ruth. And I mean that thank you, Ruth, because that meant, okay, we can't go see any more friends. We have to go quarantine on the beach. Mama Gail got a week in a condominium facing the the Gulf of Mexico the most beautiful beaches on planet earth, best in Florida. I mean, it's unbelievable. And uh, we were one mile from where we first began in ministry in 1975 and uh, lots of nostalgia. In the midst of my burden, I want you to know I, I, I turned myself over to the secular prophets. Pregnant pause, listening for the groan. Some of you who are my age and even not my age know them. They, they sing rock and roll. And uh, when we left town, I, I, I gave myself over to REM for a few hours. As we sang, that's me in the corner, losing my religion. <laughs> hey, listen, I'm all about that. What I didn't expect, I'm not going to kid you a bit. What I didn't expect was that, because sure enough, I, I'm not kidding you. I, in, in some sense, I have to say I lost my mind. Because that's what happens when you go into forms of mental illness. And you you look at yourself and you go, what did I, what what happened to me? And um, listen, the losing my religion part, I've been working on that for 40 years. I don't mind that. I do find that it's one of those things that no matter what you do to get rid of it, it reforms and shows up again. I've been warning you about the secular religions as I watch a fundamentalist fervor fill our nation that doesn't have God in it. What I didn't expect was to go through a period of time where I would lose my faith. Can we talk? And I want you to feel it and I want you to be scared of it and not scared of it. And I, and I had help from one, another secular prophet that, I, that I've listened to over the years. Uh, his name is Sting. Or his rock name is Sting. I could say that I lost my faith in science and progress. You could say that I lost my belief in the Holy Church. You could say I lost my sense of direction. You could say all of this and worse. But if I ever lose my faith in you, Jesus, I did add to the song. There'd be nothing left for me to do. So when I tell you I lost my faith, I want you to know something. I, I have temporarily lost my faith in all the mediating institutions of our religion. Positions. Utterances from those who are supposed to be somebody, but I don't know who they are. And so I played this song kind of over and over. Now, I have the blessing, by the way, of not only uh, having my Lord Jesus to be the one that I can sing this about, but of uh, being married to one that I know when Sting did it, he, he was singing a love song. I have the blessing of having that kind of great love in my life, and I'll never stop telling you about that. Some would say I was a lost man in a lost world. You could say I lost my faith in the people on TV. Oh, yes. You could say I lost my belief in our politicians. They all seem like game show hosts to me. But if I ever lose my faith in you, Jesus, there'd be nothing left for me to do. And then there's that bridge. I could be lost inside their lies without a trace, but every time I close my eyes, I see your face. Right? Come on. I'm not going to kid you, I've reached a place where I don't much believe in anybody. That's, what, that's part of the illness of Depression. But man, I'm tethered to Jesus more than I've ever been, not less. I never saw no miracle of science that didn't go from a blessing to a curse. Pandemic medications. I never saw no military solution that didn't always end up with something worse. Riots in the street. But let me say this first. If I ever lose my faith in you, Jesus, there'd be nothing left for me to do. Now let us go with Jesus into the swelling tide. Let us go with him from Jericho where he meets Zacchaeus. Down in the valley, 800 feet below sea level, let us go with him outside the city where he runs into one Bartimaeus who was born blind, heals him, creates a stir like no one can imagine. Let us go with him on the reverse path that old David had taken 1,000 years before when David found himself at the mercy of, of his rebellious son, Absalom. And he makes the trip down from Jerusalem and out and on this path that Jesus was on. And in the midst of it, he wrote, "O Lord, how many are my foes? Psalm three, rising against me, many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God, but you, O Lord are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I laid down and slept, awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, and save me. And now Jesus is making that reverse journey and he's going to hear those words from the crowd. Son of David, save us. Let's go with him, Luke 19. And when he had said these things, this is a a teaching parable. I think it was on the, the minus he went on ahead of them to go up to Jerusalem. That journey up to Jerusalem was a climb of some 36 to 700 feet from below sea level to the mountains upon which Jerusalem is built. It, was no, it wasn't just a sanguine journey. And most of it was arid from Jericho Coming up to this place where he is, it was arid, and and you and you top the the hill right at Bethany, and you suddenly for the first time see green again. And you see the holy city. And across you from the holy city is was one image, the towering temple, the symbol of Israel's national identity and hopes. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village that's in front of you where on entering you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Matthew talks about Two animals, we're not troubled by such things. Untie it and bring it here. Matthew also tells us that the colt was not a horse, but a donkey. Unbroken, you see this? Unbroken. If anyone asks you, where are you, why are you untying it? You shall say the Lord has need of it. We laugh because we're like, did he plan this? It's quite possible that he planned this because, you know, Bethany was the place where just a few months before in the winter of 29, he had gone there and John's gospel juxtaposed that story with this story and tells us that Lazarus had died and Jesus died prevaricated instead of going straight away. He allowed Lazarus to die. He allowed those that he loved to enter into their sorrow and grief. The home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus was a soft place where Jesus could go and have sacred repose away from the crowds. It's the kind of people that Gail and I sought to visit as we were on our journey hopefully to go from friend to friend, those who had let us sit at their table and cry in their presence and receive from their hands. Jesus let him die. And then when he went to see them, he entered into their tears. I tell you, the most mysterious thing of all for most people is this business of how Jesus had all these intentions of doing these great things. But there's that wonderful verse in John, just the two words, he wept. He wept. And I want you to weep with me today and laugh with me today. Because come on, it's been a year of weeping. I've cried more tears in the last eight weeks than I've cried in the last eight years. Like a helpless child. My sweet wife held me until one day she finally had to just go in the other room and sit down and weep herself. Jesus wept with them. Don't you miss that? Don't you be so spiritual that in the face of the good things that God does, you don't understand that we weep. And please don't tell someone, don't cry. Hallelujah. Just weep with them, that's better. It's the reason you tell them not to. You don't want to get swept away by the flood. Why were you weeping, Alan? I don't know. For the horrible plague that's been upon us, for those who denied it and those who embraced it, for those who fought people who embraced it, those who fought people who denied it, for a nation divided. For a nation that's so soaked in the Christian message and also so soaked in tribal and racial division. For a nation who hears voices and they all sound like game, ho- game show hosts. Not only politicians, but prophets. I won't be silent anymore. There's nothing to lose. I've given it away. Don't worry, I won't give up the prophetic gift. But I will be more judicious of who I listen to. Tell you a little secret about depression, just a little peek inside of a depressed person's mind. When you praise them, it sounds like cursing. Because when a person is depressed, they hear all your praise and they turn it into all their inadequacies. They say, you say that, but I know me. And it doesn't mean that I'm not grateful for all the beautiful words that I've received because boy, have I been loaded with wonderful words. But you need to know that most of the time when you send me a note and I can see it has even the slightest bit of length to it. I don't look at it for several days until I can get my strength. Is it okay to hear this? the best thing anyone can do when somebody is filled with melancholy is gently touch them and whisper, I love you. And if you can, linger a few minutes and you don't have to talk. Hallelujah. Jesus wept. And he made his way. And he told his disciples, we're going a little farther. This is how we're going to do it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he'd said. And We don't know how. We like to fill in the blanks. It's one of the things that we all do about all the silent places. We fill the, we fill the blanks in. I've done it for all my preaching years and I do it more in the quiet of my mind when I'm wondering what's going on. Hallelujah. We might cry more than laugh today. (laughs) Did you hear about the drunk? I was walking through the graveyard fell in an open grave. It wasn't Elisha's, by the way. <laughs> Started climbing and trying to scratch his way and claw his way out. And it's pitch black, no moon, dark night. Can't see, can't get out. The old drunk finally sits down in the corner and passes out. Hour later, another man comes. Wandering through the graveyard, and falls in the other side of the grave. Starts clawing and scratching and scraping and trying to get up, but he can't get up. And the old drunk wakes up in the corner and walks over to him and taps him on the shoulder and says, "It's no use. You can't get out." But he did. I'm telling you about depression, but you're going to get out. And so am I. (laughs) When that young man and that young wife come here and settle into the yoke. Hallelujah. I'm going to (laughs) dance, not because I don't love it or love you, but because it's time. Jesus knew when it was time, and he went and did what was appointed for him to do. When they were untying the colt, if the owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Now don't miss this. Don't forget an unbroken animal. That means something, doesn't it, Tommy? Jesus sat on an unbroken animal a broken man humbling himself. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road and he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives. So I want you to picture this because you got to get hold of this. Uh, this procession that's about to take place happens outside of the city and going into the city. And we wonder, like it, like it gained momentum. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And I'm gonna say something that'll sound offensive to you, but it's 100% true. A political rally broke out. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent. The stones will cry out. So what you have on that day is you have men and women and children doing an act that has nationalist inspiration in it, but it has an anointing of truth upon it. Jesus lives in the ironies of all these things. And you got to understand it. So so some of the gospels tell us, and they took their cloaks and they threw them in the way. There's a wonderful story about Sir Walter Raleigh seeing the Queen of England, Elizabeth I, walking on the streets of London, and uh, she's coming, approaching a muddy place, and he takes off his coat and lays it in her path. You've seen it depicted in movies, perhaps. We don't know if it's true, actually, but... It echoes this scene. It's Palm Sunday and i chosen a passage that doesn't tell you about the palms. Uh, the other passages say they took the palm branches and they took the palm branches and they, and they placed them down in the, the streets. And you have to understand what this was because this is a mixing of the, of the imagery. Do you know what it was? It was Passover time. And so not only it's it's very reasonable that the that the not only that, that Jesus was not alone on this road, that there were p- many pilgrims coming, and that so it was easy to have a crowd. It wasn't that a, a a crowd just gathered out of nothing, it gathered out of pilgrims that were headed up to Passover, up to Jerusalem for Passover feast. And Passover feast was the exodus. It was Fourth of July. It was their it was their freedom, it was their liberty. But they mix these things because the palm branches are not about Passover. The palm branches are about Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is the celebration of when the Maccabean family rose up and threw out Antiochus Epiphanes a hundred years before. And they laid palm branches. And the scene has all these other images. It, 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 it calls up when Jehu was declared king in Second Samuel, and they threw their cloak, coats in the. So all these royal images—they don't worry about what season it is. They gather them from everything. There's there's a fervor in Jerusalem. For three years, the word of David has been found. We found him. Is this not the one? Is this not the anointed one? Is this not Messiah? Is this not David's son? And and all of their hopes for their nation are fired up. We're alive. And Jesus allows it. But oh, you need to hear me. He did not give himself to it. they would have made him king and he would not have it. Why? Why? He goes even further. And yes, I know the difference in farther and further. When he drew near, see, he's not there yet. When he drew near and saw the city, here it is, he wept. He wept. Wait, Jesus, they're cheering you, he wept. Wait, Jesus, they're going to make you king, he wept. Wait, Jesus, this is a moment you can seize the day. You have the momentum, he wept. He wept for the sins of a rebellious nation that had never truly received God as their king. Yeah, you heard it. Yeah, you heard it. He wept because their nationalist pride was a misplacing of his global intention. He wept because he knew that that his entering into the shadow of death was only a precursor to the death of their nation not its birth. Would that you even you had known the day of the things that make for peace. Listen to me people of Jesus. Would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace. He wept because they did not know the things that made for peace. But even now they are hidden from your eyes for the days will come when your enemies will set up barricades around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone on another in you. Listen to it, listen to it, because you did not know the time of your visitation. So I wanna ask you Something. The spirit that swirled in the crowds, in the masses, in the people who gathered, who threw their cloaks, their palm trees, the spirit that, that forced them to cry, save us, King of David, Son of David. What spirit was that? It wasn't one that Jesus partnered with. In fact, the spirit that was on them would be the wave that would push him into the shadow of death. And they would not go with him. Yeah, I didn't want to come home on Palm Sunday. (laughs) You and I have converted it into a proper inauguration of a king because we know the end of the story. Well, I want you to know that we're living in a nation that seems to have forgotten the end of the story. Wake up, old sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Don't miss the day of your visitation. Would that you even you would know this day the things that make for peace. You want to cry? Cry that God would teach the church to understand the things that make for peace instead of us learning how to stoke the battles of war and tribalism and division. Would that God would make us a people who could rise above our nationalist aspirations and understand and discern the global intentions of our Lord. And the Lord as he often does in my life brings me to a place of seeing I'm I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet but all the time I get prophetic revelation from the things that are happening in life. Not because I'm anything special but because I always think that things that are are more than they are. And so some 10 days ago when Gail and I We're on the road and things at home were roiling in a way that compelled us to get in our car and come home because not only are we pastors, but we're parents. (laughs) And when you're needed, you come, you don't matter where you are. (laughs) We came home, we were home last week. Hugh, I was so sorry because I love you and you have have stood with me for so long, all these years. And I thought to come, but I felt restrained of the Holy Spirit and of wiser voices. But I listened and loved and received as you ministered the word to us. Thank you so much. And on... Friday night. I think it was Saturday night. I don't know. I can't. I lose the days. We got a call and heard about our precious friend, Vicki Nelson. You have to understand Vicki and what she and her family mean for us. Gail and I arrived in New Mexico December. No, Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving, no, that weekend in 91, and on December the 1st was our first Sunday at Del Norte Baptist Church, and the family came and joined themselves to the church on that very day, first fruit of our ministry, Eugene and Vicki Nelson, and their three children, seven and younger, three girls. I've always laughed about the fact that we brought them over to the house and I made Alyssa cry. It's a gift. (laughs) And those dear friends have been with us all these years. You have to know what they represented for me. I've always had a dream of God's church. Ever since I came to understand Revelation chapter seven and the multitude that no man could number out of every tribe and kindred and tongue and nation. Ever since I saw that image, I said, that's the body of Christ. That's the kingdom of God. And I always thought, Lord, I want to pastor a church that represents that kind of polynational flavor. I want a church that looks like the kingdom of we arrive, and on the first day we arrive, here is this wonderful Hispanic lady, this wonderful American Indian man, and their girls. They join our Baptist church. And They walk with us, and we walk with them through life and birth. We were told that Vicky was going into. Intensive care. And in my soul, I knew she wouldn't come out. And so on Monday morning, when the, the word came, that she breathed her last, Oh, Jesus, we wept. And we went to see them and wept with them and gathered with them on Friday and said goodbyes. And I will never forget that when we went over to Eugene and Vicki's house and Eugene greeted us at the door he had a broad smile on his face because in the midst of his torture, he had not lost the goodness of God in the land of the living. And we comforted one another. I'm going somewhere, and if you'll walk with me, you'll hear it. That family for me has always been a picture of, of the kingdom. And this year, oh, how I hate this last 12 months. I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. I'm a, I'm a good old, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, no, I'm not a word of faith guy that says everything all right. I'm like, no, this ain't good. I'm not happy. I'm gonna complain and Jesus is gonna hear me. It's called crying out to God and not living in denial. Everything about this last year has divided us. Everything. From COVID mitigations to political interpretations. Everything has divided us. And Jesus comes into a city of a people who are exclusive about their identity and exclusive about God's intention in their life and exclusive about who they are as God's people, God's elect people, God's covenant people, God's people in the world, and God is going to save them. And the nation said, better beware. And Jesus does not give himself to that spirit. And Jesus not only allows that nation whose identity out of which he had been birthed, out of which his identity had come, out of which God had established his work in the world, he not only allowed that nation to to be destroyed, but he pronounced it on the lips of his son. And I want you to know something. There's no sense as I look at this that Jesus withdrew from the people and this word for he wept, it's he wailed. And his lament would have been heard by them. It would be repeated by him on the all of that discourse a few, <laughs> as he's explaining the things that are happening. and his eyes as he's making this description would have been on a a building across the way that temple i'm so glad as i was studying for this i came across this wonderful phrase from an old rabbi thou art great and we are small thou art sovereign and we are weak thou art infinite and we are finite thou art eternal and we tarry just a little while, but with all thy greatness and all thy power, thou dost bend down low and listen to the sound of our tears as they strike the ground. Hallelujah. What a savior. People didn't cry on that day. They didn't know how to cry. They didn't know how to enter into what he was saying, but they would know. And if you follow Mark's, depiction of this Jesus goes on this journey and goes across and enters into the temple for a moment and looks around and leaves and then this and he entered the temple began to drive out those who sold saying to them it is written my house shall be a house of prayer but you made it a den of robbers now listen Lots of people think this meant that he made it, they made it into a place of exploitation. That was not the point. The word he used here for robbers is the word for a brigand. A brigand is a, re- is a rebel. A brigand is someone who wants to overthrow the order that's existing. And he was teaching daily in the temple and the chief priests and scribes And the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So don't miss it. He enters into the cries of Hosanna. He enters into the cries of them praising him. He enters into the spirit that is intending to establish a national glory and will not only not have it, but he declares to them their national demise because his intention is to build a house of prayer. And one of the gospel writers adds, for all nations, for all ethnos, for all people. You don't know the things that make for peace and you miss the day of your visitation. Well, I want you to know something. You and I are the people that are now in the world. You and I are the people who have the opportunity to discern the things that make for peace. And you and I have the opportunity to discern that the house of God, the true house of God, not the one he destroyed because it had missed his aim but the one he has made by pouring out his true spirit into every vessel in every place and filling the house and making a house for him to dwell in, a house of his glory, a house that discerns the things that make for peace and a house that understands God's intention for his whole world, a house that's not tribalistic, but a house that somehow reaches its arms around the world. I'm home (laughs) and I love you so much and being away for eight weeks has allowed me to think and pray and withdraw and to stop listening to all the voices and to see if I could hear one voice Hallelujah. And I have lived inside the Psalms a little bit more than normal. And the verse that Eugene and the children knew depicted mother's heart, 27-4 Psalm the one thing I've asked of the Lord and I will seek after that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and dwell in his temple. (laughs) Hallelujah. Why don't we take communion? How long? so different in so many ways but God made the human family to be one blood we bleed one blood We come into this week and it's Holy Week. Jesus goes through a week of testing. We will come back together on Good Friday, you and I. At noon, we're gathering at noon, Friday noon, the night before, Jesus had gathered with his disciples and he shared the Passover meal. And out of the Passover meal, he taught us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. I want you to know something today. I preach this message because I want you to know how good he is, this one of who makes for peace. He's come to give you his peace today. He's come to give you his visitation today. He's come to meet you in the miry pit. He's come to meet you in the pain of your physical suffering. He's come to meet you in the alienation of political conflict. He's come to meet you in the divide of humanity over so many tribalistic intentions he's come to meet you in your pain and your sorrow and your complaint and he's come to say whosoever shall call on the name of the lord shall be saved this is the body of christ received Those more shocking words have ever been spoken on this earth than this is the new covenant, which is in my blood, which is shed for you. Take it, he said. I want you to take it. And I want you to drink it. Let's give thanks for the blood of Christ. And having received his flesh, we will now drink his blood. And we will declare our oneness with him. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. There's a blessing that has come out of this year of fragmentation. And that has been that every week we take, we eat his flesh and drink his blood together As one body, as one people, as those who not only are constituted with one blood in the flesh, but are identified by the precious blood of the Lamb.